We're going to pray uh, for one another in a few minutes as well. Uh, we, we can't not have some of the stories we've been hearing and not, not just welcome God again for healing. I think in the six or seven weeks since we've been preaching this Unstoppable God series, the miracle uh, healings of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, I, I've got a record now of 11 healing breakthroughs um, that, that I know of, and I, I don't know of all of them, I'm sure, because some of you are a bit shy in telling your stories, but it's been great week after week to have story after story, and we thank God for that, and we're learning to celebrate those breakthroughs as well. So we're going to pray for one another in a moment, and who knows, maybe God's ready to touch you this morning and uh, work into your life. We'll get some people around, Bev, Bevan as well. Bev's going to serve uh, our Zambian friends on a huge project that's opening up. He'll be with Joseph Wheeler uh, flying uh, tonight, uh, and out through this week. So it'd be great to get some, some guys around Bev as well when we, when we break down and pray uh, in a few minutes and just ask for the Lord's hand to be on that power fleet. Um, although it's a very practical project, it needs the breakthrough of God because it will have significance for, for that, that people uh, and that nation. So I think the series so far has been great fun. As I say, it's been wonderful to have some, uh, some breakout stories. We've been enjoying experimenting with some Sunday evening meetings once a month. Last Sunday was, was great. We uh, looked at a couple of miracle stories in the morning and then Justin preached really well on the centurion uh, and his servant in the evening. You can catch up on all these on iTunes if, if you've missed uh, the opportunity to be at some of these uh, gatherings. What we're trying to do, as Dee said so helpfully in his story this morning, is just equip one another through the scriptures um, for this kind of stuff to be the normal stuff of kingdom life. To use that old John Wimber phrase we've been talking about, doing the stuff. And so this series is designed to uh, pull us into line uh, with what a New Testament church really looks like. We've got our Love Crawley Outreach Weekend at the end of June, 23rd to 25th of, of June. And uh, uh, again, those, those dates, that outreach, probably forms a part of this series, really. It's pulling us towards being the kind of people that, that do the kingdom stuff um, in all of life. I'm quite nervous about that weekend, a couple of days on the streets, and then taking our Sunday morning out of here and into the middle of the memorial gardens in Crawley where we'll worship loudly and we'll preach the gospel and we'll heal the sick uh, and we'll feed anyone who turns up. I'm a little bit nervous about that, but I'm kind of excited at what the Lord is drawing us into and, and, and wondering that if over a few weeks we've seen 10, 11, 12 healing breakthroughs just within these walls, then what might happen when we take God at his word take the unstoppable God at his word, get out of these four walls and begin to share Jesus with the broken, the busted up, the hurting. Uh, I wonder what might happen. Um, and uh, so even though I'm a little bit scared, my heart is kind of pumping with some, uh, some, some growing faith as well. Any, anyone else a bit, a bit scared about joining in with a weekend like that? You can be honest. Um, okay, just keep your hand. If, if you're scared about it, I'd love you to sign up for that weekend. Okay. <laughs> Friday, Saturday, and those of you who didn't put your hand up, you're just liars, um, and I, I say that in a pastoral way, uh, <laughs> but you are. Drop me an email, come sign up, I think we'll learn together and grow together so this stuff becomes normal. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, we're just picking up where we left off in the last healing miracle story, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through to 17, Jesus raises a widow's son, it's only in Luke's gospel where this Story is mentioned. Two other stories uh, of Jesus raising people from the dead in the New Testament, um, in Mark's Gospel with Jairus' um, daughter and also uh, Lazarus in John chapter 11. But here we are in Luke 7. And of course, the big one, uh, Jesus himself um, in, in the Gospels who is raised by the power of God 
to life and has never died. Um, Luke 7, 11, are you with me? You've got your Bibles open? Great, well done. If you haven't got a Bible, um, bring one next week, but you can follow on the screen. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin. Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Lord Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you so much for all that you've been doing and are doing amongst us, but we dare to ask you for more, oh God, and we welcome you, even through these next few minutes, come and be working amongst us. If you're stirring any faith in us, Lord, even now, just begin to activate what you're doing in our lives, our minds, our bodies, just be free to work as we bring ourselves under the direction of your word this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we pick up from, the, as I say, the story. Jesus had been in Capernaum, uh, where Justin left off last Sunday night, um, where he'd healed the centurion's um, servant without actually being present. Indeed, someone told me this morning um, uh, about a healing miracle we, we prayed for last week, and the person concerned wasn't present. Uh, they've come this morning and told me I was healed last Sunday, uh, even when we prayed on the Sunday morning, even though they weren't here. It happens in the Bible, happens in real life as well. That was number 11 on my list, by the way. And so Jesus comes 25 miles or so from Capernaum to Nain, a, a, a full day's hard walk. Um, he leaves Capernaum with his disciples uh, and a large crowd that have been amazed at what he's been doing in and around Capernaum. And maybe through the day as he walks through the heap, perhaps others, as they pass through villages and towns, perhaps they gather along behind him uh, as well. And he arrives in Nain in the cool of the evening. Uh, that would be the time normally where, if there was to be a funeral procession, they would come out of a town, making their way out to the graves uh, in the evening time. So picture the scene. Here into the town comes this large crowd with Jesus. Meeting coming out of the town, a large crowd, the whole of Nain coming to bury the widow's son. This procession of death approaches Jesus, not realising as they set out from Nain that on the path towards them is the Lord of life himself. And not knowing that he's about to burst open the gates of death for the first time in their experience. Procession of death, procession of life. Which procession will give way first? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> the whole gospel is distilled into this story. It's all at stake here in a story like this. I, I, it's true today, isn't it, as it was back then in their culture. Um, everyone gives way to a funeral, don't they? If a hearse goes past, we slow our cars down out of respect and honouring. At funerals, people will still kind of bow and, and slow down and clear the path and whisper quietly. But here, Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, does the very opposite. He breaks with convention and expectation. The Lord of life stands across the divide between life and death. He is Gandalf-like. He looks death 
square in the face and he says, you shall not pass today as I stand on this path. The one who will soon overcome sin and death, the one who will soon be raised to life, refuses to shy away from death even as it walks towards him. The one whose death and resurrection enables the church to later declare with confidence, where, O death, is your sting? Enables us, like Ben did this morning, to read those amazing scriptures from Thessalonians about how we too will one day be caught up to meet him in the air. That Jesus, that Lord of life, stands his ground and he demands that death gives way to life. Hallelujah. He's he's an unstoppable, immovable saviour and he's meeting the apparently irresistible force of death and he simply knocks it out of the way. Hallelujah. Oh, wow. Let's look at the verses together, shall we, before I get too excited just in my introduction. I think I've woken up the babies that are in the room. I'm really sorry, parents. But... Don't worry about a bit of noise. If you can hear them over me, then there's nothing to worry about. Um, Verse 13, when Jesus saw her, the, the young man's mother, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. She's a, a widow, we've been told in the scripture. Now her only son has died. Um, She's not living in a society where there's a safety net of social security, housing, benefit. Uh, She's not living around fee crawly. She's not going to get a food parcel every week to help her. She is in a desperate state. Jesus says to her, don't cry, as he looks at her. It's interesting to note the the way that compassion works. We've sung this morning, everybody needs compassion. There's a a process uh, or journey uh, of Christ-like compassion. It always starts with what we see, with who we see with who we look at and what we look at. And then it begins to move to our hearts and produce a response. That's a natural phenomenon. It's not just a spiritual thing. All the time, you see, with charities and on the news, you know, they'll deliberately use pictures and images and videos and great music that will just make us weep. And then we go for our wallets and we give a donation. There's nothing wrong with that, although it can be a bit manipulative sometimes and it can lead to what they now call compassion fatigue. It's not that way with Jesus. He looks he sees a situation. We, we know of Jesus. Uh, John, I think it's John 5.19. He's already said, I only do what I've already seen the Father doing. He only says what he has already heard the Father saying. So when Jesus looks at this widow, there's, there's some insight. There's some heart compassion that is gained in him. That is not just in the moment, but it's come through relationship, ongoing relationship with his heavenly Father. It's come as he's given himself to prayer, as he's come and drawn near to the Father's heart, as he's learned to listen to the Father's will, so that when he's in these kinds of situations, and we heard from Dee outside co-op and Lydia with that great story on the way back from school today, in the moments you can look and see through the Father's eyes and compassion is triggered. You understand how compassion works? And the Greek word here that we translate compassion, or in the NIV version, it says his heart went out to her, but the Greek word behind that is what is compassion. It's the, it's the strongest word possible that is used in the scriptures there. It's a very physical word. It means literally in he, he was moved in his bowels or in his intestines. It's a gut level. Have you ever been in a situation where it seems so broken that somewhere in your guts there's a pain and a wailing and a brokenness about the situation that you see? That's what Jesus was feeling in this moment and experiencing. And he experiences it because the Father in heaven has already got his heart broken in that way for this dear lady, this widow. So we want to see with the Father's eyes and we want to respond with the Father's heart of deep compassion. The sight and the compassion of the Father that we draw into in prayer is is so much deeper than our own resource. If we look with our own eyes, 
if we respond from our own hearts, if we try and work and strive out of our own strength, then I think we'll pretty quickly get overwhelmed by the scale of the griefs and the broken and the needs around us. It will literally be gut-wrenching for us. We will run out, we will run dry, we'll run away, we will get compassion fatigue. We can't do it in our own. We'll be, we'll be like the disciples. I remember a few months ago we looked at um, the feeding of the 5,000. That was the same process there. They looked at the crowd, the disciples saw the need. The, the, the problem was, hey, these crowds are hungry and we're a long way from home and from food. They felt the compassion, but in the story they had no resource of their own and so they became paralysed in their own strength. There were so many needs. We're talking and praying all the time about those nearest and dearest to us that uh, don't yet know Jesus or have broken lives. Never mind the 100,000 plus that live within five minutes drive of this building. So many lost, so many to feed, so many to care for, so many to speak into, so many to pray for. What's our response? Like Jesus, we go to the Father. Oh God, open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to seek your hearts. And then what happens? Open our mouths. Jesus spoke. He spoke these simple words of life to the mother. Don't cry. That's it. Two words. There's no basis for him to say don't cry unless he's about to do something extraordinary. There's only one thing on this day, this evening, as this procession of death comes out of town that will cause the mother's tears to be dried up and her crying to stop. We recognise, of course, there is a time to weep with those who weep. There's a time to mourn with those who mourn. There's a time to give permission to cry. We're not into kind of fake, easy believism here. Not saying into all your issues, all your problems, to say, hey, dry your tears, don't cry. There's a time to weep. There's a time to cry. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to know there's a father who's weeping with us out of his compassion. There would have been others that week, that month, that had died in Nain, and Jesus hadn't come across their procession and raised them to life. But the Bible also teaches us that there is also a time where every tear will be wiped away. The Bible teaches us there is a time coming where there will be no more sickness. Uh, and that in the meantime, there are these God moments in time where his indestructible eternal kingdom breaks in amongst our tears and our despair uh, and, and begins to give us a taste of the finished work that is to come. There are moments in time where the, the finished work of the kingdom breaks in to our world at the command and the touch of Jesus. It's like an inbreaking ahead of time and we get to experience something of his victory. I, I guess for Jesus, he knew, as we understand, the Father's heart here. He'd already discerned as he approached this woman. Is it a time to weep with her? Or is it a time to wipe away tears? We, that's, we, guys, we've got to grow in discernment as we approach those who are broken and struggling. Later on in John 11 with Lazarus, actually, we see Jesus do both. He both weeps with Mary and Martha, a profound, deep, gut-wrenching weeping. And then he says, hey, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come out. Because Jesus is looking to his father, because he's able to look this, at this woman in the busyness and the chaos and discern his father's will here. It's because of that that he's able to declare, woman, dry your eyes. Your crying must stop. I, I got a little text this morning. I don't normally look at my phone just before church, but it was from Joe, so I, I looked at it because he's... He's my friend. And uh, he just sent me a great little John Wimber quote. We've already mentioned him this morning. And it just, it, it was so helpful this morning. So I'll read it to you. The ability to hear what God is saying, to see what God is doing, and to move in the realm of the miraculous comes as an individual develops the same intimacy and dependence upon the Father that Jesus had. I'll just say that again. 
The ability to hear what God is saying, to see what God is doing, and to move in the realm of the miraculous comes as an individual develops the same intimacy and the same dependence upon the Father that Jesus had. Good quote, Joe. You read that this morning? That's great. So we're praying, Father, open our eyes. Father, open our hearts. Father, open our mouths with your words. And then, Father, would you open our hands to serve, direct our feet to move uh, as, as you will for us. Verse 14. Then he went up, Jesus went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. Jesus walks across to an open coffin. He pushed through the crowd, through his own people that were with him, through the crowd of mourners who've just been told, stop your mourning. It's just, it's extraordinary boldness in this moment. I've done quite a lot of funerals over the years. I've done a few recently. Um, I can't imagine, in that moment, having to have, have such a clear discernment from the Father that this is the right moment now to approach a coffin and, and, to, and to command life into one who is in there. I've, I've only once prayed for someone to be uh, brought back to life from the dead, and they weren't, but we praise God anyway. And once as a young man, I had an opportunity to, and I, I, I bottled it out of fear. And I promised God that day, we were just married, and I promised God I'm, I'm never going to miss that opportunity again. Whatever you do, give me courage to go for it again. Whatever your story in this, whether you're like me, whether you're way further ahead, whether you can't even imagine yourself in these shoes, this is an extraordinary moment of boldness. Jesus is only able to take these steps towards this coffin if he's really discerned his Father's will. Otherwise, it's going to be arrogance or utter foolishness. If he's not sure, he's thinking, maybe you have spoken, maybe you haven't gone, I'm not sure, but I'll just have a go. Hey, there are times of having a go in healing. That's why we practice in here on a Sunday before we go out there. There's times of having a go and getting it wrong. We'll go, hey, well done for trying. Anyway, this is not a time for having a go if you're not really sure. The hurt, the embarrassment, the pain that you'll cause would just be off the charts. And then there's all the other pressure that we don't even notice as 21st century Westerners. Jesus is approaching and touching a dead body. Again, the law, his law, the law that they are under. Numbers 19.11 tells him if you, if you accidentally brush against a dead body, then you are seven days contaminated and defiled and away from God's people. Jesus shouldn't be going near this man and shouldn't be going near this coffee. That uh, co- coffee, this coffin, um, I'm thinking already ahead. Um, that's what the law says. But there's a greater law at work here. Religion isn't going to raise this boy from the dead. Mark Stibbe says, the love of law is superseded by the law of love. What a marvellous quote that is. It's like the leper um, cleansing. Daniel preached on it a few weeks ago. Jesus touches the leper, but he's not made unclean. The contamination flows in reverse. It goes the other way. The leper's contaminated with life. The same thing's about to happen here. And, and even as we read these stories about lepers and, uh, and dead young men, we can grow in a confidence that we can touch a dying world around us. We don't need to be in fear that we somehow might be contaminated in our holiness as we pray with friends outside of the church. But we can reach out and touch with the hands of Jesus and know that his life and his power and his holiness will flow into them. I think sometimes there's a fear of failure. Oftentimes there's a fear of failure in these moments that stops us from stepping forward. There's a fear of looking stupid. don't know how you felt, D, with a conversation outside. Is D there? He's out. Okay, I'm talking to D as though he's in the room. That's weird. Um, 
I, I don't know how Dee felt when he approached the guy outside of co-op, but I would imagine, like I would be, he was a little bit nervous there. What, what if I'm wrong? What if the guy doesn't want to talk to me? What if he won't let me pray? I'll feel stupid. What will happen to my reputation? These things are all fear. Um, fear about what other people think. Um, fear of failure. These are all rooted in pride. That's where they, that's where they find their, their basis. And pride is a sin. They're one of the biggest reasons why we don't push through and pray for more people to be healed. I, I think we've got to, this series is helping us. We've got to learn to push through the fear and the what-ifs that crowd around us in these moments. We're still learning. Um, that, that's the, 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 the great draw of the Love Crawley weekend at the end of, of June. It's, it's deliberately engineered to make us feel uncomfortable um, because it will force us to the Father to seek his discernment uh, and then send us out towards the broken lives that are around us, pushing through fear as we go. Even now, I'm not standing up in front of you as an expert. I, I hear Dee and Lydia... And, and others, Hannah Blackburn's got a great story from this week. You must ask her when she comes out of serving in, uh, in seedlings later. Even now, when I talk to someone that doesn't know Jesus, and I have that moment where I think, I've, I've got to share the gospel with you. I need, I need to pray with you about something. I still have to push through the fear that crowds in uh, and threatens to crowd out the work of God. That moment where you say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Can I, can I pray for you now? Oh, I still find that the most frightening. Is it just me? Forgive me if it is. No, okay. Again, Baron's the only honest one in the room. There we are, and Carlo as well. We've got to push through some fear that crowds in. Verse 14, Jesus went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. Everyone stands still in the crowd at this moment. The sounds are hushed. Jesus is the only one who's moving. Jesus is the only one who's speaking. Even as I read that verse, I thought, oh, yes, Jesus, it's best that way when you're the one that's moving, and when you're the one that's speaking. I, I think we're learning all the time in, in our kind of frantic activity, in all our praying for the sick. More and more, we're learning simply to rest in the finished work of Jesus, the compassionate heart of the Father. We're learning simply to welcome his presence, to welcome his voice, to ask him to speak and him to move. We don't need many words. We're learning that. I think as we grow and mature through this series, I think our prayers for healing are getting shorter we're praying a lot more now. Jesus, would you speak, please? Would you move now? Would your presence be released now to come and work into this situation or, or to change this sickness? So many of the miracles we've seen, I've got a list of hundreds over the last 10, 15 years that I've had the privilege of being involved in. So many of them, as I reflect on them, have come actually when I've not been striving and praying long prayers, but where we've stood still and just welcomed the presence of Jesus. I was reminded this week, flicking through my list of an amazing one, about five years ago now in, the, in a little house church in the south of Italy, I was with her, encouraging a small group there, and there was a lady um, who'd been brought to the meeting who was waiting for a heart transplant operation. She was very, very sick. I guess they don't take your heart out and give you a new one unless you're going to die without one. Uh, that's kind of how it is. And uh, she was three days a week at the hospital, hooked up on machines, the rest of the time living under very strict instructions um, for how, what she could and couldn't do. And she was in the meeting. And I remember she had no English. My Italian is very bad. And, and so uh, with the guy who was with me, we just laid hands on her. 
And we said, Jesus, you know what to do. I, I didn't even fully understand what the problem was. I thought she'd had a stroke or something. I didn't understand the full story because my Italian was too bad and she spoke dialect mainly as well. Uh, and so we just pray, Jesus, we welcome your presence. Jesus, we welcome your presence. I remember praying that over and over again. Very childlike prayer. I had nothing. We weren't moving, but Jesus was. We found out this was the Saturday evening. Um, when I got home, I had a phone call on the Monday from my friend Antonio. He said, something's happening. She'd been at the hospital for a normal checkup that morning. Suddenly, a load of consultants and doctors had come in and started you know, hooking her up to even more machines than normal through the day. Uh, they got ever more frantic trying to work out what was going on, but it seemed something was happening in her heart. By that Friday, so no, six days after we'd just said, Jesus, we welcome your presence, they discharged her from the hospital. A lady who was waiting for a heart transplant they discharged us saying, you have a perfectly healthy heart. We don't want to see you anymore. What did we do? We just prayed. Yeah, woo, indeed. We, we just prayed, Jesus, we welcome your presence. It was one of the worst healing prayers I've prayed. But, but when the crowd stands still and when we cease our frantic activity and our many words and our striving to try and persuade Jesus to do something, we sometimes find that he's already moving and he's already so willing to work. And here we have a sentence with an exclamation mark on the end. Young man, I say to you, get up. I, I'm guilty of overusing exclamation marks in my punctuation when I write. But if there's ever a time to use an exclamation mark, it is at the end of this sentence when Jesus says to a dead young man, get up. I don't know that there's a more appropriate moment for an exclamation mark. So this is the command. Again, we're learning. Jesus doesn't pray for a dead boy. He gives a command. He's already discerned in his guts, we've heard what the Father is intending to do, and so he speaks it out of his heavenly authority. The boy sits up, he begins to speak. Who knows what he spoke in that moment? It must have been amazing, terrifying. They were in awe, the people. There was some fear of God, and Jesus gives him back to his mum. What a, what a moment. It began with compassion for the mother. Jesus gives this young man back to his mother. It's just an incredible moment. There are parallels with uh, two raisings from the dead in, in, of the old prophets, Elijah and Elisha, in 1 and 2 Kings, where, again, they give the dead boy back to their mother. Perhaps that's why at the end of this story, the people are saying, a prophet's amongst us. It's an unusual thing to say, perhaps, for us to see at this moment. But I, I think they, they know the stories of Elijah and Elisha, and they're saying Jesus is another who's come in the line of the prophets of Israel. We ask the question each week at the moment as we go through this series, how do we pray for the, the sick? We're learning, as we've said, Jesus doesn't really do that. Um, just out of his authority as the king, he draws near. He's already declared his mission is to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted. So Jesus simply walks into situations with his authority, into the lives of the sick and the broken. That's why it's so important just to welcome his presence. When he is present, when the king is present, the king's authority gets released and things get established. I think we can be like Jesus in this. I think we can walk and be clear about his kingdom authority. We can share in it. Some of the stories we've heard this morning are showing there's a growing participation in the mission of the king. We can access the Father's plan and the Father's will. And in the same way, we can command sicknesses to leave. I, I think as we work and pray through this series, we're learning not so much how to pray for the sick, but more about simply taking part in the mission of Jesus and, and healing the sick under his authority as a part of that bigger backdrop. Just a couple of questions and, and then we'll... We'll make a few minutes to pray for one another. The other big question that strikes me from this passage is the question of faith. 
There's saving faith that comes when we repent, we turn from our old life and we, we, we believe in Jesus and that his death on the cross um, sets me free from my sin and brings me into a relationship with my heavenly Father. That's saving faith. And then the Bible speaks about the gift of faith. That ability to trust God for what we don't yet have and what we don't yet see when he has promised it. And the Bible teaches us that faith is a really good thing. Faith pleases God. He loves it when he finds it present in his disciples. People like you and me. Justin highlighted last Sunday, um, Jesus commended the centurion for the great faith that he demonstrated in believing that Jesus just needed to give a command and his servant would be healed. In fact, the healing is accredited to that measure of faith that the centurion has. It's a total contrast with the centurion wasn't part of, of God's people Israel in that day. We, we see God's people in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 where Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith in his hometown of Nazareth amongst his own people. And they don't believe. And so he's unable to do many miracles amongst them, it says. I think if we have a narrow view of, of healing and a narrow view of our Father's heart of compassion, then we can sometimes be left with the impression that if we've prayed for healing and it hasn't happened, it is kind of in a box, ticked, we didn't have enough faith. I think that's sad when that expression is given. I guess we've all heard those stories. Maybe we've even been foolish enough to give that impression to people sometimes ourselves. In the light of this story today, and in, in, the, in the contrast of Mark 6, 5, where the people had no faith, I think it's just worth exploring this morning. So faith is good. Faith is to be highly prized as a gift from God. Faith is to be and can be cultivated. And a, a lack of faith in a believer is never recommended in the scriptures. Um, a lack of faith in a believer begins to create cynicism and, and fear. Uh, in fact, a, a, it's, it's an oxymoron. How can a believer effectively become an unbeliever if you're not believing in the God that you believe in to do the things that he's promised? If you can follow that sentence, you can follow anything. Um, so faith is to be prized. And a place of faith is a place where it's easy for Jesus to work and move and do miracles. A Mark chapter 6, verse 5, Nazareth is a is a lack of faith kind of location where it's hard for him to work. I wonder where your heart is between those two points today. I wonder where mine is. As far as we are able, church family, may we cultivate here a place of faith over a place of Nazareth cynicism. May we be those who come to Jesus like children who simply choose to believe in him. If, if there's cynicism that stirs up in our hearts. May, can we ruthlessly repent of it? If there's any evidence of unbelief, let's dig it out of the soil of our hearts. Let's, let's choose and agree together to never allow any disappointment in these areas of healing or any of our kind of lack of experience or getting it wrong to define our view of how God wants to move, uh, work moving forward. Can I hear an agreement? Amen, please. Thank you. It's important. May we come like the disciples in Luke 17.5 who said, Lord, increase our faith. It's a prayer we can pray. Having said all that, where was faith present here in this story? Was there faith in the mother? I don't think so. Um, she was in deep mourning. She doesn't appear to notice Jesus or know who Jesus is until he kind of breaks in in front of her. Was there faith in the crowd? I don't think so. Um, they've given up hope. A boy has died. They're going out to bury him. They're just following the natural course of events. Um, we're right to look for the presence of faith in the person being prayed for. 
or in the friends who bring them. Again, like the centurion uh, in the story last week, or the paralyzed man we heard about in the morning who was lowered through the roof. It's really helpful to look for and commend faith. And we'll always ask as we pray, what do you want Jesus to do for you? We're looking for faith in the person. But the mother and the mourners here, they carry no faith. They're carrying nothing but a dead son on an open coffin. And the son himself, he evidently has no faith at all. He has no breath. He's utterly dead. He's not contributing anything in terms of faith. That's what's so remarkable about this story. There was no faith apparently present. No one asked Jesus to do anything. No one expected anything of him. They would have been happy if he just nodded and bowed his head and let the procession go past Nobody pressed through the crowd boldly to touch the hem of his garment. Nobody tore open a roof to try and bring this boy down to Jesus' feet. Nobody shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, to get his attention as he walked past. But the Lord of life simply took the initiative anyway. He seized the initiative of the kingdom. And so here as Jesus approaches an open coffin to speak a command over a dead boy, all of our kind of neat pigeonholed methodologies about how healing works and faith for healing, they all get torn down a little bit and I think that's quite a good thing. What we can say with confidence, if you have faith this morning, God bless you. He loves that. Um, He'll work so readily in you and through you And, and as we've said, may we cultivate more and more faith. But this encounter at Nain shows us that even if faith has died in you, Even if the person that you're praying for has physically died, this is no barrier to the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. There we have it. Jesus is enough. Um, Even where we've got nothing to offer, Jesus is enough. He's still full of compassion. He's still ready to approach you and I, even when we can't stretch out to him. Again, here's the gospel in a nutshell for us. When we were dead in our sins, Jesus Christ died for us. So today, church, and in the days ahead, we can come to Jesus with small faith or large faith. He loves that. Come if you can. But even if you cannot, we can expect him to come to you. These verses are are, are what give us such confidence about our outreach this summer, that in in these apparently coincidental meetings of life, um, Jesus can still choose to cut across people's paths. These were chance encounters on the road out of Maine, apparently, The arrival of Jesus and this funeral procession seemed to be a natural event. And yet in all the natural events of our lives, school gates, the walking to work, the coffee at Elevensies, at your desk with your colleagues, the Father is ready to bring Jesus right across our path, right across the paths of our friends. He's ready even in our weakness, even in our struggle. He's ready to break into our normality. He's ready to encounter us with the life-giving presence of Jesus. He's ready to send us to encounter others in the same way with the life-giving presence of Jesus. Send us to those in whom hope has died. He's ready to cut across your path this morning, ready to stop us in our tracks with his presence, his words of life, his healing, his provision. So much faith, no faith, I think we're all in this story one way or the other, both in here and out in the world. We'll just take a few minutes to pray now. I've taken a bit longer because I got excited about Jesus in this passage. Jesus, the, the, the young man in this story would have died again at some point. He's not still alive today. Jesus is still alive today. 
This, this boy was raised in order to die again. So was Lazarus. So was Jairus' daughter. Jesus only has authority to raise this man to life because he will be raised to life and remain alive. Jesus' resurrection life continues. He's the one who will never die. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He's, he's raised this man from the dead and, and he's still breaking in today to give us a taste of the resurrection life that will come for all of us on the last day, as Ben read this morning. Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he's coming back one day soon to overcome the last enemy, death. Jesus has promised, as we've heard, that we who are still alive will take part, will be caught up in this greatest procession of the Lord of life. Whether we're still alive, whether we've already died in him, we'll most certainly be caught up in the air with him. Even if he has to do a miracle of regathering my scattered bones or my cremated ashes, we too will rise with him in this procession. There's a greater resurrection coming for those who are in the resurrected king. And so with Paul, why don't you stand as I read this? With Paul we can declare a mystery that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Hallelujah. 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 So today, Jesus, as you cut across our path, may we hear the words of the Lord of life. May we encounter your compassion. Lord, may people hear right now the command, wipe your eyes, dry your tears. Lord, thank you. We can come out from even under the fear and the sting of death. Thank you, Jesus, for the words you said that because you live, we also will live. Oh, Lord, just while we have our eyes closed, um, are there any here who've not yet fully given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him as a disciple? You've been living life in your own strength, in your own way. You believe in Jesus now, but it's time to say, I'm going to follow you as a disciple. Are there any here today? Jesus has cut across your path today. He's coming to you now. He wants to bring you from death to life. That's why the Bible speaks about being born again. It's a whole new birth into a whole new eternal life that starts now, today, as you give fully and completely the leadership of your life to Jesus. He's going to forgive your sins and bring you into a new relationship with God that will last forever. Just while we've got our eyes closed, are there any here today who know I need to respond to Jesus in that way for the first time? Just put your hand up high now so I can see you. There'll be some here this morning. Don't be shy. Jesus is here. He's come right across our path this morning. There's some that are ready to follow Jesus for the first time today. Just put your hand up high. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. You can put your hand down now. Are there any others? We'll just give this a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's like that moment in an auction where Christians are worried to scratch their nose or scratch their head. I might buy something. It's okay. It's great to respond to Jesus. He loves it when we run to him. Well done, those of you who are responding for the first time right now. love to pray with you in a, in a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you've died for our sins, but you've been raised to life. Thank you that we are, the Bible says we are now raised in Christ. And we thank you for those responses right now. Lord, that mean people are responding to you. They're getting born again. They're never going to go back into that old life. Thank you, the Bible says, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a brand new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. And we pray right now, Holy Spirit, you just bring them through into a new birth and a new start. Cut off from the old, forgive them their sins, and bring them into a new life in you. Thank you. Thank you. And why don't we, the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, just lift our hands. Thank you, Lord. Lord, what we see and look at, would you give us the Father's eyes and the Father's hearts? What we do and say, would you give us the Father's compassion and words? 
You open our eyes, our hearts, our mouths, our hands. You give us kingdom courage. You help us to overcome fear of failure. Fear of our reputations looking stupid. Fear of making mistakes. May we give you room to move, Lord Jesus, for your authority to have room to move. Lord, increase our faith and use us to seize the initiative of the kingdom, to cut across the path of those who are hopeless and helpless. Oh God, thank you. Cause us to carry your life in that way. May the life and the hope of Jesus spread through ordinary, courageous, fearful Christians like us. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.